It's something that you could sing and get great satisfaction from singing this melody. It's something that you could add words to. It's melodic rather than just a scale or exercise or etude. No, remember, less is more. And I always said, how can that be? How can less be more? It's impossible. More is more. Telling you, bro, what's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting the more peggy How's it going? Shane Terrio here. I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. Happy 2023. First episode of the, of the year. Riff Raff's been out for a while, but we're back. And uh, before we get to today's guest, a little shameless self-promotion. This You're listening to a, uh, a new project I'm involved in called Lay Combo with Jurgen Carlson from Government Mule on bass and Toss Panos, drummer to the stars on drums. Yours truly on guitars and vocals, all old school analog, two inch tape, no click track, no auto tune. Check it out. It's on shaneterrio.com exclusively right now until we decide to maybe put it on Spotify. I'm not sure. Anyway, visit shaneterrio.com. I have some Riff Raff t-shirts. I got all kinds of stuff. I have all the back episodes of Riff Raff you can check out for free. But here we go. Let's talk about today's guests. I get a lot of requests from people saying, why don't you interview some of the new YouTube guitar players? And I thought this would be a good time to do that. So I reached out to some friends, Jeff Mackerlane and RJ Ronquillo. And both these guys have you know, a lot of followers. And um, Jeff has a lot of great courses on, on True Fire. You may know him from that. He's a really great teacher. RJ is also a really gifted player. He's played with a lot of people. And now primarily he does uh, gear demos on YouTube and he's very, very successful at that. Both these guys are class acts and I thought I'd uh, ask them to, you know, we'll talk about what it takes to be a YouTube guitar player and uh, build a following and an audience and everything. So here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. All right, Jeff and RJ, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, I can hear you guys loud and clear. Excellent. Yeah, man, this is the first time I've ever had more than one guest on Riff Raff, so it's a uh, a new thing we're trying out here, modern technology. Yeah, this is exciting. Make sure to talk over each other. <laughs> Jeff, we know each other. We've hung out a few times, and... 
RJ, we've never met, but we do have a, a lot of mutual acquaintances, a lot of musical friends yeah, in common. We have many mutual friends, and I'm, I have to say that I've been a big fan of yours since, I don't know, probably the early 2000s, I bought a bunch of your solo albums. Thank you. I appreciate and, that. Um, and I've been listening to your podcast. It was the first guitar podcast that I ever subscribed to. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's back before everybody had a podcast. Yeah, I feel like it was like you and another person, and that was it. So I just listened to all of them. Yeah, that was probably Jude. Um, no guitar left. Yeah, Jude, no guitar, safe. Great podcast, great guy. Yeah, he had his before mine, but roughly around the same time. He does his on a much more regular basis than <laughs> moi. But. Well, you're doing a few other things here and there, man. You know? Well, yeah, fair enough. That is true. But that brings us to today and why I wanted to invite mm -hmm. both of you on the show. So I thought that Jeff, you know, you and RJ would be great because you guys are, are some of the more popular influencers, YouTube guitar players, but you're also great players, which is important to me. And we'll talk about that. But, you know, I did get some requests to do some of the YouTubers, influencers, guitar players. I'm not sure what the proper term is. I don't know what to call it now yet. It's like... Um... You know, influencer is always tossed around, but or I hate YouTuber? saying the word influencer. But... YouTuber, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you're yeah, RJ guitar is YouTuber. Way more popular than I. <laughs> well, you know, both of you guys are. I was on the phone with someone <laughs> this morning that I, I think he's one of your students, Jeff. He goes to your gigs in New York, and and a lot of the people that follow you, they follow your streaming, and it's a new it's a new world, and it's a new way to reach people versus the traditional gig route. So that's what I, the topic of today's show is. Not that there ever is a topic, but um, I think what separates you guys are, are that, like I said before, you're both skilled players. You've been out in the trenches and, and done gigs and, you know, not that the, it's a requirement in my eyes, but uh, it tends to pull me in a little more. It seems like there's some cred involved. You because know? you have a resume and play with people? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't want to piss off people that listen to the podcast. I don't mean this in a condescending way at all. I'm not, not an all. expert no. or, you know, there's no rule. Listen, I think if you're talking about players, always look for other players. I mean, that's really, I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking that way. That's, I mean, I love hearing RJ play because I watch his stuff because he can play really well. Sure. And so whenever he talks about anything, I know where it's coming from someone who I can trust because I know that's someone who can play. I think that's one of the... The interesting things about YouTube in general is, you know, anyone can start a channel and, and make videos and upload anything, no matter their skill level or what they're talking about, because there's always an audience for whatever crap you want to put on YouTube. You know, there's people that watch people eat for hours and hours a day or, and, and just weird kind of content. So I think from the musician's perspective, it's cool because you got these, you know, people that are starting YouTube channels about their journey, starting to play guitar and learning how to play guitar. And then on the other end, you've got like, you know, professional musicians that are, you know, doing lessons or doing behind the scenes tour vlogs and everything. So there's something kind of for everybody on YouTube, which I think is kind of cool. It is a really wide audience. I mean, sometimes you you forget that you're dealing with the whole world. That's your audience. Yeah, I know. Well, let's just take a second and, and talk about each of you and your backgrounds. You know, RJ, both of you guys have, have great websites. I was doing a little mm -hmm. research. 
But I like the headline on yours, RJ, where it says that you started playing guitar inspired by Back to the Future. <laughs> I thought that was that, great. Well, I think that was me, but I feel like that's a, uh, very common among people kind of in my generation. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that was true. It's like I tell people my first guitar hero was Michael J. Fox. And they laugh because it was Marty McFly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Paul Hansen, of course. He was the guy that, that coached Michael exactly. Fox and, and maybe did some of the parts in the studio. I'm not sure for sure. I'm not 100% sure. I believe sure. he coached um, uh, uh, Michael J. Fox, but then I, later I found out it was some other kind of random studio musician that actually did the uh, Johnny oh, B. Really? Good solo oh. on, a, on a Strat what? of all things. Sacrilegious, man. Oh, totally. There's yeah. a look behind the curtain. I think we probably all have similar influences. You know, we're in a similar age bracket. So it was a great time to learn guitar back then. Yeah. And Jeff, I know that people primarily know you as a blues player because of mostly because of your True Fire courses, you know, excellent courses. You did, I don't know, you have like 30 of them Billy Gibbons and Clapton. But we know you're a closet metalhead, Jeff. I get, I get your text. I know. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I played in metal mm -hmm. bands. I mean, in the, uh, I'll show my age, you know, in the 80s and, the, no, not 80s, sorry, 90s and thousands. I was touring Europe a lot with the band I was in and we were a pretty heavy band and it was going really well until it wasn't, you know, <laughs> on that coast, you know. And you just, got, uh, you just got that Charvel Jakey Lee I saw. I had a, man, I got my first Jackson when I was in high school. I pumped gas for it and it was, um, the Charvel soloist, it was number like 62. I got it. Yeah. And then wow. I, you know, I stupidly sold that uh -huh. a Kaler on it. Actually kind of sounded like shit, but, uh, and I had a, you know, original seafoam green Sandemus with the headstock, the pointy, but you know, when you get to New York and you're like, is that a pointy headstock? You know? <laughs> I'll have to ask you to leave now. <laughs> totally. I had no money and somebody really wanted it. So I, you know, I turned around and bought a strat with the money or something like that. So, you know, oh, I'm, a, I'm a total metal guy at, at heart. Yeah, sure. I was part of like the New Jersey, New York, uh, thrash metal scene for a long time, and all those like Anthrax. Wow, we, we played with Anthrax, and um, I was I was short. In a, I was in a band for a little bit called Hades, and we opened up for Mag Megadeth and King Diamond and Anthrax. Nice. And I uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, that then then well, I'm not gonna go into the history stuff, but yeah, total total metal guy of that period, sure. I just want to see the photos of you with long hair. Oh, I'm happy to. I'll send you some when we get off the phone. Nice. <laughs> what, oh, how about hair, period? <laughs> <laughs> and RJ, I'm not sure if you're from L.A. originally, but I know you live there because, like I said, we have a lot of mutual friends there. And you're in Nashville now, jumping around a bit. But did you play with Ricky Martin for a while? Yeah, I did. So my, I kind of lived... Uh, all over the place. I grew up in Detroit and I went to Miami uh, for college where I studied, you know, music school there. And after graduation, I kind of stuck around and, you know, tried to do whatever work I could do, cover bands and all that stuff. And eventually I met the right people and started doing recording sessions and, and touring work. And one of the, the bigger uh, gigs I got was with Ricky Martin. Um, and that was kind of like, you know, I think I had just turned 30 or something. And um, still to this day, it was one of the the highlights of, of touring just because it was so 
you know, it was a big production and all that stuff. And, um, it was fun. I was young. I got to see the world and, and do you were living stuff. La Vida Loca. I was living La Vida Loca. Yeah. In the literal sense, <laughs> Pep was probably on that game, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Pep I've known for a long time. So Pep is, is, uh, the keyboard tech for you guys. Yep. All in us, right? For Holland Oats, he yeah. was our Pro Tools guy for the Ricky tour. Okay, and before that, I played in bands with him. He played bass, and we did some other gigs with some uh, other Latin artists in town. Okay, well, shout out to Pep. He's a good yeah. cat. Just trying to give the folks at home a little backstory uh, for those that totally. may not know your history. What about you, Jeff? What happened with me was, you know, I, I tried to do the band route. You know, we did, I had some bands that, one, I was touring Europe for a long time called Liquid Hips, which uh, was an offshoot of a band called Defunct. I was here from New York, like these older than me funk guys. So it was a great education. And it was just kind of an improv, funky sort of metal thing, but definitely more funk stuff. And we'd go into these long sort of miles jams. And whenever I played in other bands, I'm like, what do you mean I don't have an open soul? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so came from that whole thing i mean after the, the, the metal band stuff that kind of i went to college after playing in a bunch of those metal bands in new jersey and thought like well this isn't really going anywhere you know <laughs> so i went to music school and then i you know got out and then um started touring with that band and i had my own band yeah i just did a gig at the 55 for years and i really kind of tried to focus in on doing my own stuff as opposed to i never really saw myself as being a side guy like mm-hmm. not to do anything wrong with one i just I wanted to be Jimmy Page, and the only way to do that was to have your own band, you know? And, you know, a lot of few near misses and things like that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, then the teaching stuff just started picking up, you know, the courses and kind of went that way. Speaking of uh, courses, Jeff, I know you have a bunch of courses on True Fire, but RJ, do you have any? Uh, I don't have any True Fire courses. I believe they did reach out to me a couple years back, but I ended up uh, doing some courses here locally in Nashville. Uh, it's just, um, I have two slide guitar courses actually that are on, uh, Udemy, which is another kind of learning website. But, um, you know, I've been asked to do a bunch of different courses, but it's, it's hard to find, for me, it's hard to find time to plan them out the way that I want to do them. Um, so it's, you know, I have a bunch of course ideas written down and kind of outlined, I just have yet to turn on the camera and, and uh, record them. Jeff, you should make a course on how to make guitar courses. <laughs> right. Um, let's talk about the, the process here. I'm, I'm curious. So give me a day by day. I mean, do you, I think it was Jeff that said he has a shooting day. Do you guys block out a certain day a week? And do the videos because it takes a lot of time to get it to look that good there's a lot of work that goes into making a video so do you say like for instance tuesday i'm going to shoot all day or is it just sort of week by ahead, week Jeff. i'd like to hear about it okay um you know i'm just starting to get more into it i had a lot of private students you know online i've been teaching online for years and um what happened, say, with the YouTube thing was really kind of funny. I think I saw you at NAMM there, uh, Shane. I was with, with David Grissom. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're good friends and we're walking around. We went there together, so to speak, whatever. You know, we hung out. And we were stopping at all these booths, you know, the, and I was thinking, wow, everyone here is a YouTuber. <laughs> you know, 
And for me, I felt like this is a way I had to start going, which was fine because I mean, it, it just it was in line with the online teaching and everything as well. So to answer your, your, your main question there is I do try to put, put aside these two days that I shoot stuff or work on courses or work on YouTube videos or work on things like that. So I do still have a lot of private students and trying to keep all those things going. I have to put aside a certain day because I'm terrible at multitasking. I think I'm good at it because I tried, but it's, it's terrible. So I've just kind of shoot for like, I write down two things that I want to get done that day. And sometimes RJ, I'm sure, you know, you try to shoot something one day and you're like, oh man, fuck, this isn't going anywhere. Totally. <laughs> you know? And you're like, well, I just, that day is shot. And I think I just have to accept that some days it's better than others. And some days it's great. And you're like, wow, I was really productive today. And the other day you're like, I'm going to have to do that all again tomorrow. And I'm just going to shut it down and do something else because it's performing to a certain extent, extent, you know, when you're in front of a camera and you're filming yourself and it's just you, it can be very hard to uh, project the energy that you want, all those kind of things. So I try to leave blocks of time where I can do it. If I try to cram it in, it, it just, I end up making too many mistakes and having to reshoot things. And so, um, so yeah, I try to keep at least two to three days that I think, okay, I'm just shooting this on this day or YouTube video, or I have my own instructional channel that's in the works right now. And I'm starting to do stuff on there. So I'm filming things for that as well. Okay. I see. I mean, that makes me feel better. I mean, I, when I film something for Instagram, which is, you know, once every three months, completely random it takes me forever like half a day oh, i always think it looks like no shit. you're supposed to say i just bang this out man <laughs> no i never <laughs> bang it out but i do get inspired watching other people's videos and and rj's yours always looks so nice you know pro Thanks. shot you know just the way it's presented and the, the content and the well playing. thank you were you were saying, you know, you didn't have you don't have the the video chops well i never i didn't have the video chops at one point. So it's funny because like I had to, I'm and sure, I'm sure Jeff is the same way, but we had to basically learn how to use cameras and, and edit videos and lighting and all this extra stuff yeah. that, you know, being trained as a musician doesn't prepare you for this. So I kind of learned as I went. So if you look at my, my first couple videos compared to the videos I have now, it's, you can definitely see the progression of better gear, knowing how to edit, knowing how to light stuff. So, I mean, it took a while. I'm still learning how to to do be a videographer, essentially. Sure. But, um, like, for me, most of my work day-to-day -day is, is all video work, YouTube video work. And I would say, I mean, most of it, I'd say 98% of it is gear demos for companies. Um, if I'm lucky and I have a couple free days, I might try to put together a a lesson video just for me, just for my channel, you know, but I mean, I kind of got kind of pigeonholed into being more of a, a gear YouTuber th these days, which is fine because, you know, it pays the bills. It puts food on the table for me and right. I, I enjoy it. You know, it's cool to play around with gear all the time, but at the same time, there's some times where I, I, I like to, I'd like to have more time to do videos for me you know, that to, to satisfy me. But, um, I mean, I honestly, I probably work every day and there was a time where I was trying to be, you know, schedule everything out. I try to schedule everything out as it is. Like I'll have one day where I just, I might shoot two or three pedals in that day. And then the next day I'll edit all of them and kind of, uh, batch, batch it like that. Mm -hmm. 
But um, I mean, I, I I started reading books on you know productivity and scheduling stuff and how to get um, more work done in less time and all this stuff. But yeah, I kind of <laughs> kind of uh, slacked off on that. So I just do as much as work as I feel like doing every day, and it so far so good, you know. So at this point, since you have such a big following, I mean, now you're at the point where companies are seeking you out, I would imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, it started out slow. I was just working with, you know, one guitar company, Eastwood Guitars, you know, probably back in 2010. And it slowly progressed um, to different other, you know, guitar companies. I think Guild reached out after that. And then pedal companies. And then... You know, since 2010, I almost feel like there's this been this huge boom of the guitar pedal industry. So there seems to be more small builders coming out. And, you know, I feel like there's more pedals coming out than there are amps or guitars every year. Oh, man, it's unreal for sure. It's it's unbelievable how many the pedals The edge of are... breakup pedal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. Sure, but, I know. You know that's that's where the the work is. So, sure. But uh, what do you do with all those pedals? I are, mean, are you looking to buy any? <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> I imagine you you must have tons. FedEx must be at your house every you're, day. You're not wrong. I think there was a time last year where I was receiving at least one or two packages every day for like a, a solid month. But you know, a lot of a lot of them I keep. A lot of them I I, I sell. Um, or I give away to some friends that were interested in it. Um, last year, I sold a, like 50 or 60 on Reverb, and that just like took so much energy out of me that I don't think I don't want I want to do that again. So, I just traded a bunch for a guitar. To who? To a store. Oh. I got a I got a Guthrie Govan Charvel. I got to do that. I mean, you just, <laughs> you're slowly regressing, Jeff, back to Jackson's oh, man, and Charvels. So much fun. Get rid of those Les Pauls and Strats, yeah. man. That's old shit. But, but seriously, I did the same thing as you. I tried to sell a bunch. I, I sold a bunch of pedals. I'm like, wow, the amount of time that this took to put them on reverb and then go to the post office. I'm sure the post office in Nashville is just as nightmarish as the post office in New York City. You know? Uh, no, I get lucky. I'm kind of on the outskirts, so it's it's chill over okay. here. But oh, yeah, no, the post office. It's just it's the I you know it the last place I want to go. Well, not really technically, but one of the last places I want to go is the post office. You know, in the city. Yeah. So um, I just brought in a box of pedals, you know, and we did, I just priced them all out and we went through them. He's like, "How's this number?" I'm like, "Sounds great." <laughs> Was it a big box guitar store or like a mom and independent? Mom and pop, but they they do really good online business stuff. Ah, okay. But, but that was the thing. If you go to the like the mom and pop ones, they always because they were like they were good pedals. You know, it wasn't like you know a, a junky pedal. Yeah. And he's like, "Why do you, you know these are all really good?" I'm like, "Yeah, I just I, that the amount of time, the cost effective ratio. You know what I mean?" Yeah, I mean at that point, I would I would I'll take you know a little bit of a loss just so I don't have to ship exactly well it's a matter of your time like how much is your time worth and then i'm having much more fun with the guitar than a bunch of pedals that were in the closet you know absolutely and not to sound like back in the day but i remember when you know i had three pedals and everything was okay and you were totally happy <laughs> yeah i did a ton of work with those things the funny thing is like before like right before i started getting getting into doing 
gear demos. I was I was in LA at the time and I was getting more into old school blues and West Coast blues and kind of like jazzy stuff, jazzier stuff. And I was about, you know, swearing off having like a pedal board or, you know, an amp over 20 watts. I just wanted like a nice semi-hollow body going through like a tweed amp with a little bit of reverb or something. That was how I wanted to live the rest of my life. And then right when I kind of mentally decided that, I started getting more and more gear demos for pedals. And I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do these pedals or whatever, you know. I've already, you know, kind of... Uh, wanted to do this uh more vintage style thing so now it's like i have more pedals than i've ever had in my life (laughs) (laughs) but at the same time i'm still into that you know big semi hollow body big jazz box into just like a nice tube amp and that's what i that's what i play when i'm not working yeah well you know that's the real deal there yeah yeah, well, I mean, we're in a time now where guitar players are just, they have, we have an unbelievable amount of options and choices. I mean, even the so-called cheap guitars, gear, it's, you know, I picked up a $200 guitar the, the other day and I was like, I could I could do a gig with this, yeah. no problem, you know, make it work. Oh, yeah. Cheap guitars now are way better than the cheap guitars that we had when we were kids. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, a cheap guitar meant, you know, maybe a Squire, which is not a shitty guitar. It was just a lower budget guitar, but played fine, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or an Area Pro 2. <laughs> yeah. They had some they cool did. ads. I remember well, those they had Ingve in the ads, so, you know. Yeah, yeah that's right. Ingve <laughs> with the, what was it, Alcatraz or Steeler? Alcatraz. Yeah. Doing the Richie Blackmore split. Mm hmm. Remember when Ingve was using crate amps too? Wasn't he using like yep. a? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> man. Even Ingve's got a podcast now, which is amazing. Yes. What times we live in? I've got to check that out. I'm sure it's really great. <laughs> I'm a big fan. Here's something to uh, to chew on, to unpack, as they say. Um, topic: a pretty famous guitar player who we know. Uh, told me this i was talking to him a few months ago very intelligent guy and someone whose opinion i really value and anyway basically what he said in a nutshell was we live in a time now where the educational aspect of what we do as musicians has transcended actually even the 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 musical part of it in other words if you look at you know classical genre is the best example i mean how many classical musicians are making a living outside of being with a symphony or maybe a soundtrack you know studio musician i mean everything is has relegated to academia so you have to teach it professors and jazz is already that way too i mean you have schools where you go to school for jazz and you'd be a you know a doctorate in jazz studies i mean you had jazz in the 40s and 50s. Those guys barely finished high school that invented that language. So now we're at a point where uh-huh. what we do is rock and blues musicians. I think the educational part of it is more valuable than the actual art music itself. It seems like everybody is either teaching or demoing gear on YouTube to make money. And the gigs have taken a 
back seat. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if people will keep creating and keep doing the actual art, you know? I know that since everybody seems to be teaching that the next generation will probably be some unbelievable monster guitar players, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a I, there's going to be more of a demand for it now. Um, like I've met so many people in the past year or two that started playing guitar, you know, when COVID started or, you know, re took up the guitar, uh, you know, two years ago because of COVID and, you know, you hear about how more guitars were sold in, in 2020 than any other year or whatever. And, or Fender had the most guitar sales that year of their history or something like that. So especially now I, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that are learning guitar. So possibly, you know, because of that demand, more people are, are, you know, putting out lessons or, or, um, more people are requesting lessons or those types of videos. And at the same time, I think that's also a viable, uh, income stream for musicians, um, just teaching and being able to sell a product online, I think is a great way to make money these days. Yeah, no, nobody can argue with that. That's for sure. I, I think you're you're right. I mean, I, if we think about when my YouTube channel, like when I actually really started in earnest, I would post a video here and there, nothing real. And then the pandemic hit and I'm like, oh, well, fuck, what am I going to do? And that was tied in. I said like Nam was right before the pandemic. And I just decided, well, I'm going to do the YouTube thing. Uh, but my, my approach to it is, is about teaching. You know, that's my angle on the YouTube stuff. I mean, I sometimes talk about gear because people enjoy it and I, I enjoy it as well. But um, for me, I am most comfortable teaching because I've been doing it for so long and I, and I really enjoy it. You know, I, I, I think, you know, I find it really satisfying when you get a response from somebody that you actually taught them something, you know, you changed their life in some, you know, I, I, I said to people like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm in the happiness business. Really? <laughs> you know, I'm, I provide people happiness, hopefully, you know, uh, and they become better guitar players and they enjoy doing it. And so I find it very satisfying and, you know, certainly financially rewarding much more so than gigging. Um, but, you know, to, I think Archie's right that the, the explosion of people kind of sitting at home and then the YouTube stuff getting bigger and people wanting to learn how to play the guitar but I was, I was flipping, I was watching some of Coachella, which for the most part for me as a musician was really, really brutally painful, you know, but yeah. I do def- definitely check out Danny Elfman's thing. That was pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. That was pretty cool. Um, but one thing I did notice when it wasn't the, the rap stuff that I really have no connection to the, the stuff, whatever, the, whatever it is now, I sound like old fogey here, but you know, the kind of stuff you're watching, you go, I, I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Um, check out how many people were playing guitar. There are a lot of bands. Sure. So I was actually, uh, you know, I was, I felt pretty good about it. I was like, wait a minute, there's, there's, everybody's playing. There's a lot of bands playing guitar. Now, nobody's, you know, shredding that may come back around. I think all these things come full circle at some point, but there were a lot of bands and I was surprised to see how many bands there were because I mean, I don't listen to the radio, but I know that's not really popular. Guitar is not super popular in the mainstream, but when you see how many acts at Coachella, there was a lot of guitar going on. So was it like, a lot of guitar 
being shown but not heard, or would you say it was pretty? No, there were some bands. That, no, there were some bands that were just there was the guitar, like they were guitar bands. Okay, you know, a bit more shoegazy at times. You know, wasn't you know not not virtuosic playing of any kind, but you know, a lot of Jaguars, you know, things like that. You know, that kind of bands. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but I still, well, hell, it's still guitar though. So that's cool. You know? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm all for that. I mean, I remember not that long ago where New York times did an article said, is guitar dead and pandemic hits and bam, good luck. Like RJ said, good luck trying to order anything. I know I, I couldn't get Mike Prees anything. Everybody was yeah. buying stuff, you know, so that's healthy. Yeah. Uh, the, un the unhealthy part, I mean, I guess of all that is nobody's playing with each other, which is the my favorite thing to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and you know, when we talk about uh, the the pandemic, well, I mean, I was like fortunate to just do a tour on, on my own band with my own band under my own name. And we're playing instrumental fusion guitar for an hour and 45 minutes every night, you know. So that was you're like, oh, yeah, this <laughs> I want to do that next. But, right. I mean. That is the first time, like, I'm like, I've done touring. I haven't, you know, I did the tours with Robin beforehand, and that was, you know, very generous, and he let me expand. But this was, this was great. Like, you know, I've never toured as the leader of my own band in Europe playing my music for two sets of an hour each. Right. So, I mean, there was, so what I'm trying to find is the, the line between the two now, like how I can, so people know me as a player. Uh, I, it sounds kind of, I get this a lot and I find it funny, but I, I appreciate it. People are like, Oh, I didn't know you could actually play guitar because <laughs> of the truth. Right. Right, which, which just to bring it to that, it's like, you know, just to give to RJ a compliment, I think you're a great player. And then when I, when I saw you do the stuff at Carter playing the jazz stuff, I was like, son of a bitch, like in the best way. I was like, <laughs> Oh man, fantastic. Like, so thank you. You know, yeah, man, you're such a great guitar player and, and, and Shane too. And I, we love great guitar players so in all of this i think why people hopefully are i'm a player first yes you know and i always see myself as a player first and i i struggle with being not a youtuber i appreciate it but you know when you start playing guitar you're like oh yeah this is why i picked up the thing you know so what i'm trying to do at least on the youtube channel and keeping it more educational and, and obviously so for me what i'm trying to do is my goal is to, you know, somehow have the two work together that people will come see you play because they like your YouTube stuff, put out new music and get to a point where everything works sort of synergistically where what we're really developing. And I, and I love the audience of people that I'm developing like a fan base of people who just like what I do. And I try to be very generous because I like to be that way. And it, there's, when you do the live feeds, I know RJ, you have tons of people on yours. Like you, these people are your, your people, right? You know right. what I mean? And, and I, I have the utmost appreciation for that. So I feel like that then these people would probably want to hear what they bought my record and they want to hear the next thing that I do. So I think, I think it could be done. The hard part I've found though, the European tour went, it was in the Czech Republic went surprisingly well. It was really well attended. I've played in New York and was like, when are you gigging next? When are you gigging next? And you do a gig and there's like five people there. <laughs> well, Bitter End can be tough. I've played there too with my solo thing and it, and it, it can be a little it's daunting to fill that place. Right, right. But still, even five, if you have five. 40 people, it still looks empty. Here's, here's what I do. I don't count. I don't count. I don't look at how it looks in the room. 
I just count how many people came. If I brought in 40 people for the kind of music I play in New York City, I see that as a success. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instrumental guitar music, you know, I mean, no singer. And, um, you know, when I see Oz and those guys, there's that 40, 50 people, you know, it's, it's not, it's not selling those rooms out. I think it's like compared to uh, Nashville, I feel like, well, maybe because there's so many more guitar players, maybe per square mile in Nashville, but, um, you know, comparing the bitter end to something like third and Lindsley, I feel like third and Lindsley, uh, would you'd see more people there just because the nature of, you know, Nashville, it's, it's definitely a music town, but it's kind of easier to get around and get to these shows and, and see your friends gigs and everything. I know like in big cities, sometimes it's like, Oh man, I don't want to hop on the train or I don't want to whatever, catch an Uber or walk five, six blocks or something. So. Well, and most of my friends are musicians. So. Oh yeah. And they're gigging too. <laughs> Right. You know, and they're gigging too, or they're like me, you got, I've got a, a wife and a, a kid and you know, it's like, what time do you go on? <laughs> I got to get my kid to school at six 30. I got to get up. You know what I mean? So I understand all the, the, the reality. I'm not trying to sound poo poo on gigs. I'm just saying, um, I think there's a way that you can, or that I'm trying to, the plan is to marry the two, you know? Oh yeah. I think that's the, the, the wisest thing to do. Um, cause you basically have a built in fan base already through the YouTube yeah. channel. And um, just a matter of informing them of, you know, whatever albums you put out or gigs that you do. Mm -hmm. Do you guys think, though, that now that everyone has this conduit to present their thing and, you know, everybody has a platform, which is great, but that the flip side is that it, it sort of dilutes the quality and it also saturates people's attention spans, which are already fragmented with cell phones and whatnot. I mean, the cream mm -hmm. rises to the top may not be so valid anymore. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think people are just numb to so many guitar channels? I think there's enough people out there. It's a different world now. Or maybe I'm just overanalyzing everything. Well, no, you, I think you're totally right that you know, it's getting diluted as far as the amount of guitar players or musicians that are being seen, you know, on social media. But at the same time, like you said, there's um, a certain crowd for a certain type of personality. And then there's another crowd for another type of personality. So, you know, people that would come out to see me or Jeff play might not be the same people that subscribe to you know, someone that does comedic guitar videos or something like that. I just think that, um, you know, there's enough people out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I don't. I get that feeling as well. And, and I think, you know, I'm sure your name, you hear RJ when people talk, when you talk to people, you're, we're in the same circle of people a lot of the times, yeah. right? I mean, and people are like, oh, I love your videos, blah, 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 blah. And you name the same four or five guys, you know. And I'm like, oh, so, I mean, I'm in good company. And I'm in company that un that I understand why I'm there. Um, and happily so. I mean, you've been doing this way longer than me. And I got in, like, in the thick of it, you know, uh, doing the YouTube stuff. But it's been great so far. And I, I think people will find what works best for them. It's definitely personality driven. So, say, like, a True Fire you know, God, I've got 30 something courses <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and, and, you know, 
other guys put out blues courses and what makes people buy mine over theirs is they just like some of the way somebody's personality is or how they, they speak to them. Or so I think the same thing happens with the YouTube channel and people are like, I just like the way you teach. And you know, not every video is a big video. You'd have one that's really does really well. And I put out one later. I'm like, yeah, I think I'm onto something. The next one you're like, well, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's slowly growing it and I'm seeing the effects of it. You know, when I'm, when I put up things like courses or my CD sales have increased and, and, and I think, if I keep it in perspective, I mean, there's people like, uh, you know, Rick Beato, who I, who I talk to pretty regularly, is a, a friend of mine and his, his goal is different than mine. Right. You know, and he's killing it obviously. And he's amazing at what he does, but we have a different goal in mind. And I think other people do. And, and I think if you just connect, you, you find your audience and whether it's not as big as say, you know, a Hall and Oates audience, Right but there is an audience that will like what we do and come and, and support us. And it, it can be small, but you can still make a pretty good living doing it. If you work really fucking hard. <laughs> yeah. And there's also, you know, there's like, you know, there's obviously going to be sub genres within this guitar YouTuber yeah. community, you know, like you've got the metal guys, you've got the, the Neo soul R and B kids and you've got, country guys and you got like i don't know where me and jeff fall in but maybe like blues influenced whatever playing blues jazz rock playing or whatever so i kind of just focus on that aspect of the community i know that i'm not you know i don't try to pull in a bunch of people from the metal crowd by making metal videos necessarily but um like my if i had a focus it was just kind of like you know, the people that basically I play the way that I like to play and whoever's listening is, you know, that's who I'm kind of concerned about. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, that's the way to do it is to play with your heart, what's in your heart, you know, it's yeah. going to come out. Well, and plus when you have someone who's like a metal guy, a total shredder doing this, talking about the same stuff and they watch him do it and then they watch me do it. Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know. And now we have these videos where they're, you know, so-and-so reacts to you know oh. a brian may solo and now i'm like wow we're watching someone's reaction to a a video they get a lot of so views on those yeah. <laughs> there's layers <laughs> i well that's you know it's that infotainment thing and look I, youtube has replaced television for many people you know i'm sure yeah and I'm I'm cognizant, and I'm sure RJ, you are too. That you know, you, your your job is to entertain people too. Or that's why they'll stay because they're interested or entertained by the way you present your material. Um, and that's that's fine. It's still people just watch YouTube all the time now. Um, and like you said, there's a comedic guitar guys, right? There's 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 something for everybody. I think it's uh for us, or at least for me, at least it's um. It's finding the blend of being musically satisfied and and making content that you're happy with, but at the same time you gotta kind of play the the algorithm game and and make sure your videos are a certain length and you're saying you know subscribe to me at certain times and all that stuff. So it's kind of finding that balance of you know still being a musician but at the same time knowing how to work the YouTube game. Yeah. Well, can I just say this? If you're going to have a YouTube channel teaching guitar, 
can we start with tuning the guitar? <laughs> you know, it's uh, that's it's a great video take, idea. <laughs> it's hard yeah, to take on. people seriously. You know, you watch something. If I want to check out a a guitar or a pedal or something, and the guitar is so out of tune, it's. I mean, come on! You're supposed to be teaching me how to play something, <laughs> oh, and yeah. well, it doesn't seem like there's much quality control. I I know I, I sound really cynical. No, it's like Facebook, man. Anybody can post anything they want. Well, sure, know? yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to. Everybody has a right to do whatever they want, you know. But <laughs> can we not have any no. <laughs> tune <of> guitars? <laughs> That's like the interview Dweezil Zappa did with Eddie Van Halen years ago, where early 90s, and he asked him every question I'd ever want to ask Eddie, like, how many takes did you take you to do eruption or whatever? But the one question he asked was, uh, that reminded me of this, was uh, he asked him, how do you feel about the, you know, grunge movement when these crappy solos and, you know, shitty solos and non-solos and eddie eddie said it had a brilliant answer and he said you know music is expression and even if you're expressing yourself on one string it's still valid you know it's still music and tweezel comes back and says yeah but i'm sick of guitar solos that suck (laughs) 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 anyway um like we were talking about you know both you guys have uh, you were players before you were youtube players and um so you have things that you still do currently and maybe we could talk about that for a minute you know jeff i know you had a record you did a year or so back that robin ford produced with you and uh you did some playing touring on that record yeah we it was before the pandemic we did a record together he plays on all of it um anyway, it, it basically was a, we'd been working together and he's like hey man you want to do a record together i was like uh sure <laughs> and um, it's basically a, a, not a duet record, but it's, he and I did the record. He wrote half the tunes. I wrote half the tunes. We share the solos. Um, he just, you know, in his very cool, it's like, not nah, put your name. I want your name to be on the whole thing. And he says, you know, his name is on attached to it, of course. And he produced it and we recorded it down in Nashville. And, um, I did uh, a few weeks on the road with him, two separate legs and we had some more stuff planned and then COVID hit. So that kind of scuttled a lot of the plans. And um, we had a gig planned at the bitter end, he and I, and then he decided to move to Paris. So, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that long ago, gig. actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Just moved there. Yeah, that was fairly quick. Like, I'm gonna do it, and I'm like, okay, what are you doing? He's like, in two weeks or like in two months. I'm like, what? You know. So, um, yeah, but I'm just uh, in terms of my own stuff. I'm just trying to, um, I'm trying to find time to write another record. That's uh, I find that's hard. The inspiration. But the tour really helped a lot, and the, the band was just so great. I was really just, you know, when you're playing with guys who are kicking your ass on a nightly basis, you know? And um, so we, we were booked again in the, the Czech Republic in 2024, and we're working on stuff for 2023 in Europe, and I'm working on some stuff for, for over in Italy and France and Germany and Switzerland. And RJ, forgive me, I don't know, but do you have any solo records of your own? I, well, that's the one thing I want to work on this year, hopefully finish it up. But uh, a couple of years ago, I never really had anything serious. You know, in the past, I had yeah. um, little self-projects that I, I recorded stuff and put out. Kind of, not as a joke, but just for fun. Um, uh, the first thing I ever put out was like this one-man blues band record, which was basically me playing, you know, the drums with my, or, you know, foot drum stuff 
and playing slide guitar and nice really swampy stuff and it's funny like i i put out a, a, a cd and now that i think about it I, I was featured on a bunch of compilation records i was featured in a book um of one man bands like randomly random stuff but i never really you know and i gigged with it a, a, you know for a little bit in la but i never really meant to do it for anything other than just having fun and then a couple of years later when i was still in la i i put out another uh, musical project uh, just for fun. It was called RZ and the Del Guapos, which was very uh, Chuck Berry, Little Richard influenced 50s rock and roll. Um, you know, I pressed some vinyl for that and I sold some records and, and played some gigs. But that again was also for fun and I didn't have any, you know, plans of continuing it, you know, past that. Uh, and now I'm like, I get a lot of well, I guess I've been getting a lot of requests to actually put out a record of just me kind of playing the way I play, whether it's like instrumental blues or, or jazzy blues stuff. So that's kind of what I'm focused on doing. And I'm, I've actually written a couple tunes so far, which is the most I've ever done in the past like 10 years. So that's the goal. Um, at least put something out, you know, something to do. And I, and someone was telling me like a lot of the 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 tunes that I have on my gear demos could be put out as an album, which, you know, that means I have a bunch of stuff written already. I just have to kind of re-record them properly and, and put it out. So I, the, uh, the songs are there. The ideas are there. It's just a matter of getting everything arranged, which is always the hardest part. Oh yeah. Just to sit yes. down and actually hammer it all out. I mean, it takes a lot of time. Yeah. But that's the goal. Well, that's good to know. Both of you guys have something in the pipeline. That's that's good. Trying to. Well, I'm, I have the concept in the pipeline. <laughs> yeah, I've had the concept right. on the back burner for about seven years. <laughs> oh, man, right. I know about the back burner. My back burner is always full. Well, thanks for joining me, man, you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. Let's hear about when's, what you got coming up, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you were just here in Nashville, I thought. Yeah, I was. We uh, played the Ryman a few weeks ago. It was uh, it was a little chaotic. It was the second show, and we're playing. It's Daryl Hall solo with wow. Todd Rundgren. It's the same band, so so I'm playing with Todd as well, and it's a shit ton Imagine. of music. And that was actually our second show, and they decided to live stream oh, everything, Ooh. you know, all over the world, and it was. Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics comes to soundcheck and <laughs> Daryl never shows up at soundcheck, but Dave is there and we're going to do, uh, here comes the rain again. And <laughs> Dave comes up to me, he was playing acoustic guitar on it and he comes up to me and he's like, um, Shane, perhaps you could speak to Daryl. There's a, there's a jazz chord he's inserting and it's, it's disturbing my noodling. <laughs> And it's really affecting my noodling, <laughs> and it's a it's basically a, a C eleven or a B flat over C bass that Daryl puts in as a passing chord. So I told Daryl, and Daryl's like, "There's no fucking passing chord. I'm not playing that." But of course, indeed, <laughs> he does, oh, and that's that's kind of what I do. <laughs> awesome. you know, Grass is always greener. Placating. 
I mean, I'm not complaining. I love what I do. I'm grateful. It's just uh, it's just a lot of material, and uh, I didn't realize how stressful that tour was. It was fun, but when I finally got home, I, I felt so relaxed, and I was like, wow. It was just like a giant weight had been lifted. I didn't realize how stressful those moments were. <laughs> and um, yeah, Totally. Are you going to, you're still going to Australia with Robin? No, Robin asked me to do it, yeah. but I couldn't do it. And I think initially uh, that August yeah. tour, I, I couldn't do it as well, the U.S. I really wanted to. He asked me to go to Australia, but it was supposed to be in May, moved, but yeah. then it got pushed. So um, he ended up getting a, uh, a saxophone player, I think. But no, I'd love to do something with right. Robin again. It was and, fun and playing he, with he him. he moves, you know, he's, a, he's mercurial in all those kind of ways. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Well, and I don't mean that in any negative sense. It's just that's who he is. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm gonna do this. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you know? I want to move to France too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just for instance, it was about a week and a half ago we played um, Carnegie Hall. You know, pretty iconic venue, mm -hmm. and uh, I never played there before. And we did that song, "Here Comes the Rain Again." It's become an acoustic feature now. So I sit down at the front of the stage and it's just Daryl and I. Daryl starts the song off. My tech hands me the guitar and it's Doug? supposed to be an A flat. Doug fuck you up. But <laughs> and it wasn't Redler. Right. Yeah, it was Redler's right out with uh, Buffett. It was this guy, uh, Bill Lanham, who's a great tech. He's uh, out with Robert Plant now. And he's a guy that wired up Dave Grohl's studio. He's a great tech. Anyway, he hands me the guitar and... Um, and Daryl starts playing, and 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 I'm like, shit, this is the wrong key. So, so I yell at, at at Bill. I was like, dude, did you did you tune this down? And because it's confusing, because Todd and Daryl were tuning a lot of different. There's a lot of key changes and yeah. things. It gets very complicated. And he said, no, no, I I, I tuned it. And I said, fuck, Daryl's playing the wrong key. So I transposed it on stage and. Um, yeah, it's a little daunting and and we got done there at a little party after backstage and he's like man i felt great on here comes the rain i mean i was soaring on some of those notes and i, I was like yeah you, you're <laughs> a half step lower <laughs> but but you know that's some real world yeah. musician stuff there sure but hey but, but i mean shane like you know i don't know many people who could that's a particular set of skills you have right there you know yes. from all that experience i mean i don't look if i were there i would i would probably just have gone apoplectic on stage and panicked or something <laughs> yeah i've had moments like that before but daryl told me after he's like man you should have stopped me and we could have made a live from daryl's house moment out of it i was like man i'm not gonna do that on at carnegie hall and it's gonna make it's gonna make me look like a dumbass and that's what you pay me for i'll, I'll i adjust you you play i adjust so whatever it's not like i had to transpose countdown or something right mm. but still look you know you, you carnegie hall you know and you're up there you, wrong key and you got to figure it out in, the, in a heartbeat that's great well that's what we do right i don't think i got the phone call you were in town i didn't get the call to come to carnegie hall man what's up <laughs> man you wouldn't have wanted <laughs> to come to that it was it was so strict outside of giving a blood sample and you know we had to we had to take pcr tests two days before in a different city and then the the union there made it really difficult as usual in new york 
Um, you know, I had to adjust the set to yeah. adhere wow. to a certain time frame. Otherwise, there's like thousands of dollars per minute. Not one of the funnest gigs I've ever done, but it's prestigious, you know. Was that the first time you played Carnegie Hall? Yeah. Well, you can cross first it off time. the list and be like, yeah, it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, man, that place is a pain in the ass. I don't want to play there again. There you go. See, that's the yeah. best. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fuck that place. It's overrated. Well, you know, people yeah. say, uh, how do you get to <laughs> Carnegie Hall? It's like, I don't know. They just sent a runner van to pick us up in the front. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to do PCR tests. Yeah, PCR tests sperm sample <laughs> well <laughs> well guys thank right. you thanks man thank you guys man yeah thanks for being on here taking the time i hope everybody enjoys this i can't remember when did we meet i think when we met in montana right at the guitar fest that's right right we met in montana right we had all the mutual friends that's right it's montana yeah maybe uh greg v and a couple other people and uh-huh sure and rj um i've heard your name from a few people and Victor yeah. Broden's an old bro I think Victor Broden was the the one who said he knew you and I'm like oh you know Shane that's awesome yeah Victor and I were in uh, Lee and yeah. Ron's band together we had some great times and I used to park my car at his house and hang and yeah. he's a great guy he's a, he's shout a out friend. to Victor he's playing with Engelberg Humperdinck now wow really yeah that gig's still going like, on <laughs> that's the gig that never ends man I, I feel like I've known people that were on the Engelberg Humperdinck gig since like 2001. Funny man, Victor's such a metalhead too. Yeah, I knew people in Miami. I knew people in LA that were doing that gig. It's crazy. Mm. Well, I'm gonna wrap it up here, fellas. So thanks so much for joining me and doing this. I really enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, yeah. guys. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Shane. See you, Jeff. Dude, bye. Riff, 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 riff.